0: The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Lord God, um, we need to hear from you this morning. We need you to speak to us clearly. Um, Lord, use your word uh, to accomplish what you want it to accomplish. Lord, use it to further your fame and use it to deepen our joy in you. So speak clearly this morning. We need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, last week, we started talking about the disciplines of a disciple. We talked about spiritual disciplines. And if you weren't with us, or, or if you were, but uh, uh, you just don't remember, uh, let me define spiritual disciplines for you. Uh, T.M. Moore, in his book, uh, the, the Disciplines of Grace, he defines it as, a discipline is something to which we submit in order to affect change. God has given us the disciplines of grace, the spiritual disciplines, as a means to help us grow in our love for Him and our neighbors. So, these are the Habits. These are the things that we do, the things that we practice that are intrusions into our normal lives to line our lives up with God's purposes. All right. So it's the, the the things that we do, the the habits that we form that are intrusions, they're disruptions in our daily, regular lives that line us up uh, with God's purposes for our lives. And so today we're gonna talk about our first discipline. Our first discipline is eat your bread. Eat your bread. Now we're a society that communicates, aren't we? Like we are we are a society that, that we are not necessarily isolated in the sense that uh, we don't communicate to one another. We absolutely communicate. We communicate in a lot of different ways, right? Sometimes we communicate through music, right? Like isn't that what music is about? It's some sort of communication. Uh, maybe, maybe one time uh, you were you were dating somebody, or, or or maybe you did this for a spouse or something, and you you know you made them um, uh, anybody make mixtapes, anybody like that make a, make a killer mixtape for somebody, right? What are you doing? I'm communicating to you through music how I feel about you, right? So so maybe it's a mixtape, maybe. Uh, maybe we communicate through through even visual art. We communicate through body language, right? And 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 we don't always communicate uh, uh, verbally. Like like for example, the longer you're married, you, you, the less you have to speak. You know what I'm talking about? Like 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 my wife has developed this incredible way of communicating to me when to shut up, and it's just with her eyes. Like she has this look, right? And she developed this look, and I know if I don't stop talking, she's Italian, and her cousin, her uncle Weasel, will come like like take care of me right so I need to stop and like I I don't use a lot of words either now like men we develop we don't have a look but we have grunts anybody you know I'm talking about right like we develop grunts which which mean usually mean yes ma'am right like that's usually what that means like when she says hey you need to take the trash out that's a which is I'll do it right like that's I got it don't worry about it so we communicate that way but the main way we communicate is through our words right that's a main way we communicate. It'd be weird if you didn't communicate through your words in some way. Even people who can't speak, they they communicate through words. How? Like we develop sign language and, and other things. We communicate through our words. Like that's who we are. And and we use words. Why? Because words are are powerful, right? They're powerful and they're they're revealing. They they reveal very clearly. Um, that if I want to reveal to you an idea, you know, I could communicate through body language. I communicate through uh, uh through art I could communicate through music but to reveal to you like like who I am and to reveal to you ideas in my brain and other things, what's the best way to do that like words are right that's the the best way to do it They're very revealing you know they reveal uh, the, the scriptures tell us that what comes out of our mouth is, is is revealing to us what's in our heart right so so words are the main way we do that not only are they revealing but they're incredibly powerful. We know that and, and as you look through history they've always been powerful. Martin Luther King Jr. Day is coming up uh, just maybe a week from Monday or something like that, but it's coming up, and in his speech, I Have a Dream, I remember being in middle school, reading my, my social studies book, like sitting there in, in class and, and just looking through that social studies book, and I remember there's a quote there from that, so that I Have a Dream speech, which I'm sure we've all heard at this point, and, and, and for some reason, that that quote was so powerful, it just it just stuck with me. He said, I have a dream that one day my four little children will not be judged by the, the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And I don't know, I didn't try to memorize that, it just stuck with me. It was a powerful idea, they were powerful words, right? And and words change our world. When you think about the Gettysburg Address, probably one of the the greatest uh, speeches in in American history, it's we've got a president who who has a, a nation just beaten and bloody, just killed each other here, and then he speaks these incredible, incredible, inspiring words right? Holding our country together. What about Churchill when he declares war? Uh, uh, when when they, he tells his, his nation over the radio, we're going to war. Maybe you've heard his speech "The we shall fight them on the beaches. We shall fight them on the hill. We will never, never, never give up. We know that speech. It's inspiring and it, it bolstered a nation in a time of war. Words are powerful. They literally change the world. But we know like, we even know that personally. We know that words are powerful personally right and, and and like the more influence you have with somebody the more you understand how powerful your words are right like like the closer you are with somebody maybe you know the words that will really push their buttons you know the the, the words that are powerful right it reminds me of the Husband and wife at the uh, at the at a wedding and they're they're watching the reception and, and people are dancing and the wife really wants to dance and the, the husband doesn't want to dance and so the wife says, uh, uh you know, she's like, Hey, let's get up and dance. He's like, I don't really want to. And there's a guy out there who's their age and he is just he's just he's moonwalking, he's doing the robot, like he's just he's just killing it and, and everybody just thinks, Wow, that guy's just so cool and, and she knows the powerful words and so she turns to her husband and she said, You know, that guy right you see that guy right there, he proposed to me twenty five years ago and I turned him down I could be married to him and and the the man he knew exactly what to say to he said you, you turned him down well it looks like he's still celebrating you know what I mean like so like we know the words like we know the words that are powerful and the scripture says this about words in Proverbs 18:21 it says death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 12:18 says there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Anybody been run through by rash words before? We all have. Anybody had had that that perfect moment? Someone just said something so wise and loving and wonderful and comforting to you that it it healed a wound. Anybody experienced that? We've all experienced that. We've all experienced that. We've either been that for somebody or someone has been that for us. We understand the power of words. Now, I have a question. Why are we like this? Like, why are we so communicative, right? Why are we people who 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 communicate with one another, who are expressing themselves to one another? Why do we use our words so much? Why are our words so powerful? Why why do we why are we like that? And here's why we're like that. We image or, or we reflect a communicative, speaking God whose word is supremely powerful let me read that again we image we reflect we are we are showing others a communicative speaking god whose word is supremely Powerful. The word tells us that we're created in the image of God. And this is just another way we image God. Just another way we're reflecting God. Through the way that we are, we do communicate. And we speak and our words hold power in the same way. That's exactly who God is. He's communicative and he's always speaking and his words are supremely powerful. And our God does speak. Here's what the scripture says in Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And that's true. Like if you go right to the beginning, you go to Adam and Eve, what does it say about God's relationship to Adam and Eve? He walked in the garden with them. Like like that was such a common thing that that, that it says that like when they heard him coming, like they went and hid from him. After they sinned, they went and hid from him. So, So basically they knew the sound of what it was like when God showed up. That's what their relationship with God was like. He communicated to them. He had this relationship with them. In Exodus 33, 11, it's talking about Moses at the, the, the tent of meeting. There was literally this tent. He would go in and meet with God. And it said that, here's what it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to to a friend. Isaiah goes up on this mountaintop and an earthquake shakes the mountain. They're not Isaiah, Elijah. The earthquake shakes the mountain and, and, and a fire comes over the mountain. And then in that moment, uh, Elijah hears the still small voice of God. He spoke to many and through many prophets in the Old Testament. He also spoke through visions and, and dreams and, and even through angels. So, so God communicates and he's speaking. And Hebrews continues. Look at Hebrews 1 2. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So God has spoken through his Son, Jesus. How? Look at verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So everything the sun said, did, just was, was a perfect representation of God. God was communicating to us who he is, what his character is, what he's all about, perfectly through Jesus. Why? Because he's the perfect representation of the the glory of God, right? He is is that perfect perfect radiance of God's glory, and so you, you say it's almost like, like Jesus was an embodiment of, of God's word, of God's uh, of God communicating to us, and you could say that, because John 1.14 already says it, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, so Jesus is God speaking us. To us, and you say well jesus if i 've read my Bible right, Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, so is God done speaking. No, absolutely not. He continued to speak through the apostles and through their letters in first Thessalonians two thirteen Paul writes about this, he says it uh, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is it at work in you believers. And there's similar acknowledgements in Galatians, uh, in Galatians, 2 Peter and 1 John, that, that the revelation of God, the, the speaking of God continued through his apostles and through their teaching and through their writing. But the revelation of God, as far as in written form, seems to be seems to be closed, right? We're not adding to the scriptures. We're not adding to it anytime soon, and we won't. So if God never stops speaking, then then where is he speaking to us now? How is he speaking now? Where is his word? And it's right here. It's right here. All of the ways that he's spoken in the past and uh, in the Old Testament and through his prophets and all of the ways that he spoke through his son Jesus is right here and through his early church and the apostles. It's right here, the revelation of God. It's right here. I don't mean just here, in the Bible, all right? Your Bibles too. It's right here. He's speaking even now. Hebrews 4.12, which that last song we sang was based on. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that God's word is living and active, right? It's living and active. It's alive and it's active. It's not irrelevant. It's not dead. It's not just a book. It's living and active. Meaning that as alive and helpful and meaningful the words of God were to Moses in 1400 BC when he met with him in that tent of meeting, they're just as alive and powerful to us today. Meaning in the 9th century BC when Elijah's on that mountaintop in the the still small voice of God is impacting him just as powerful and as helpful as it was to him then. It's just as powerful and as helpful to us today. And as alive as impactful as the words that, that the man in Mark 7 who was deaf and had heard no words. The very first words he heard were the words of Jesus speaking in his ear. Just as alive and as impactful as those words spoken from the mouth of Jesus into deaf ears were then, they are now to us through his word. And listen, our words, not so much. Remember I said they hold power, and they do, but our words will fade. Their influence will fade, right? Like I think about now, I've got, um, uh, I've got a, a four-year-old, uh, two two-year-olds, um, and a five-month-old, right? Okay, yeah, I've got them. And so, uh, like my word now matters a lot to them. Like, my influence with them, it matters a lot to them. If I tell my kids, hey, listen, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to tell you this, but um, we can't go to school today because the sky fell. Like, it just fell, and it broke the ground, and we got to, they'd be like, all right, Dad, all right, the sky, there's no more sky, Mom. Dad said there's no more sky, right? Like, that's just how it would be. Now, here's what I understand. Um, I understand that one day that won't be the case. And one day, in fact, everything I say, they will just think the complete opposite is true. That's called Adolescence. And so, like, I understand that's going to be true. By the way, I have to say, my four-year-old name is, is Maxim. Uh, this morning on the way to church, my mom had him last night, and she said that he was. she was listening to my sermon from last week, because, I don't know, she likes to punish him in that way. And so, uh, in the sermon, I, I, was, I said my four-year-old, and Max said, hey... He didn't tell him my name. All right, so it's Maxim. My four-year-old is Maxim. Are you listening, Max? Maxim. All right, so anyway, um, I know that that will change. My influence, my words, will, will, they'll fade. The influence will fade. Even harsh words, even hurtful words that have run you through over time, over years, I'm not saying they ever completely stop hurting, but they do fade, doesn't it? The power fades. But here's what the scripture says about God's word. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God's word is living and active, and it will last forever. God's word's important. We can agree with that, right? Like, anybody can no, it's not. It's not important, right? Like, like we can get on board that. God's word is important, but even that, like, is that enough? Is Like, is that statement enough? Here's what I mean. Could you, let's do exercise time. You ready? I don't mean like, like, Exercise. Like, I'm, not, I'm not for that. I mean, like, uh, real quick, real quick, let's do something together. Raise your hand if you agree. Do you agree that proper diet's important? Anybody agree? I'm not saying you stick to a proper diet. Do you agree it's important? Right? Okay. <laughs> it was like 50% more people raised their hand. They're like, oh, thank God. All right. All right. So proper diet's important. Do you agree that staying active is important? You agree with that? You agree with that? Excellent. All right. Do you agree that wearing your is important? Excellent. Fantastic. Do you agree that calling your, like, mother on her birthday is pretty important? You agree with that? Do you agree that remembering your wedding anniversary is important? Absolutely. Do you agree uh, that being on time for a meeting, maybe at work or something, that's important? That's important. Okay. Again, not that you do it. All right. See, my hand was up. But uh, you agree those things are important. But here's the thing. Like, what we just said, all those things aren't the same. They certainly aren't the same in in level of priority or, or what's important. You know, like 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 wearing your seatbelt and calling your mother are two different things. I don't know. Maybe your mother's really vindictive, and maybe they're not. And it is, uh, and you might die if you don't call your mother. I don't know, but like they're not the same thing. So so if I were to talk to you, if I were to give you that list again and ask you to rank them between one and ten, what's most important? Uh, they probably look different. Some people's order would be out of whack, and so, you know, for us to say that the Word of God's important, well, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean that it's important? You know, because, again, our priorities are different. Like, it it reminds me, like, of this this little boy, he was going to Sunday school, and he came in late, and it's not like him to be late, and so his Sunday school teacher said, son, why are you, like, why are you coming in late? Are you okay? Is anything wrong? He said, no, I was going to go fishing this morning, but then my dad told me it was important that I, I needed to come to church, and... And so the teacher was very impressed and asked the little boy, hey, did your dad explain to you why it was important that you had to come to church? You know, did uh, did he tell you why? And he said, well, I, I wanted to go fishing, um, but dad said I needed to go to church. He said, did he tell you why you needed to go to church? And he said, yeah. He said, "My my dad said that he didn't have enough bait for both of us. And so, like... Our priorities, like our priorities change and, and, and they get out of whack. And so for us to just say that, well, the Bible's important, the word of God's important, what is important to you? Right? Like so, so I, I don't think that was something so important and so incredible and so essential that Jesus would want to leave that very ambiguous to us. Well, you decide how important it is. And and guess what? He doesn't leave it ambiguous at all. He makes it incredibly clear. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter four. I want you to see. What I saw, I want you to see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your seats. You can take that. That's, that's, uh, you can use it just this morning or you can take it with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, you can use your smartphone or whatever um, and uh, follow along. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. To understand what he's talking about, let's look at two things. One, Jesus is quoting something. What's he quoting? Well, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which I think we're going to put up here on the screen. And this is directed to the Israelites who wandered in the desert for 40 years before the Lord led them into the promised land. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God fed them manna, right? So he fed them literally, like he told Moses, he said, I'm going to make it rain bread, all right? Like tonight, I'm going to give you quail. And, and that's what happened, like literally Quail delivered themselves to be eaten, which is pretty convenient. And so, like, I'm delivering you quail. And then in the morning when you wake up, it's going to rain bread. And they just need to scrape it up. And, and that's, I'm going to feed them with that. And he fed them with that. They're in the desert 40 years. He fed them with that for 39 years and 10 and a half months. But there's a month and a half period where he didn't feed them that way. Why didn't he do that? And In fact, he let them get to a point where they were hungry. That's what the scripture just says here in Deuteronomy 8 I let you hunger. So he lets them hunger where they had to fend for themselves and they couldn't meet their own needs. And, and so he let them hunger. And when they began to grumble and complain, then God did something incredible. He, he, he fed them with this bread from heaven that no one's ever seen before and no one's ever seen since, right? Pretty incredible, Why does he do that? It says he humbled them by letting them hunger and then feeding them miraculously. He humbled them by bringing to the point of saying, look, we can't provide for ourselves. We need our need is too great. And by God providing miraculously for them, he was showing them that their need for him was even greater than their need for food. So they're saying so. So he's saying, yeah, you have a need for food. You have a need for bread. Where are you going to get that bread? You're going to get it from me. So what do you need mainly? You need me is what you need. You don't need bread. I'll give you bread. You need me. And I think Jesus is, is underlining that their spiritual need, our spiritual need, always outweighs our physical need by, by quoting this here. He's saying, you know what? You may need bread. You do need bread. But not, not more than you need the word of God never more than you need the word of God. And to understand the weight of this, again, think about the significance of bread in the first century. If you were to go to your pantry right now, what have you got in there? I'll tell you what I got in there. We've got like chips and like snack cakes, you know, like stuff that you really need. And we've got like, for some reason, we've, I don't know, we've probably got like three or four cans of beans that will never open and I don't know where they came from. How does that happen? Why do pantries just end up, are there trolls that just break into your pantry and just leave, random canned food you'll never open. But anyway, like we've got all kinds of stuff and there tons of stuff in our pantry and in, and in our fridge and things like that. But in the first century, here's what you got. You've got wine, you got oil, you got bread. That's about it, right? Maybe you eat fish on the Sabbath and, and you probably don't eat meat until like a, a feast or a special celebration or something like that. Like, like you're eating bread, oil, and wine. That's your staple. So for Jesus to say, no, 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 more than you need bread, you need the word of God. It's for Jesus to say, more than you need food, period, you need the word of God. And you go, well, Well, well hang on a second. Like, like, do you know what happens when someone starves themselves? Do you understand the significance of that, right? I, I looked it up. I was reading an article by the California Correctional Healthcare Services. You know, something fun and light. And uh, they were talking about prisoners going on hunger strike. And here's what they, they started to describe what happens to them. It says, that uh, on the third day the body starts to break muscle protein down to make glucose and, and, and the potassium falls to dangerous levels and their, their fat and their muscle mass starts to, starts to fall away. And after two weeks uh, they're experiencing severe dizziness, sluggishness, weakness, loss of coordination, low heart rate, feeling cold and their severe neurological problems are now a threat. They can even lose their vision and their motor skills. And after more than a month of fasting when, uh, or they've lost 18% of their body weight, uh, severe and permanent medical complications can occur. Uh, they, they can't, they, they have difficulty swallowing water, hearing and vision loss occur, breathing become labored, it's organ failure can even start to set in. And beyond 45 days, death is a very real risk due to cardiovascular collapse or severe infection. It's a big, big deal. And you say, you know what? Jesus didn't know what the California Correctional Institute would write. Like he, maybe he didn't understand what happens when you're hungry. He didn't know what he was really saying. Well, two things. Number one, he's God, he knows. And number two, while he's saying this, he's starving. You get that, right? Right. Like he's fasting in that moment. Like he's has those hunger pains. He's experiencing that physical weakness. He's he's having like the he's having that that long that that longing for food, right? He's experiencing the dizziness and all this other stuff. So as he's saying it, he's in the middle of that, and he's saying, "Look, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bread's great, but not as great as the Word of God. We need the Word of God." So Jesus gives us this picture, and what he's saying is that there are emaciated people physically, but just as there are are emaciated people physically, there are emaciated people spiritually. And just as the effects of starvation physically are dangerous and, and, and they can cost you so much and even your life, the same way spiritually, the dangers of starving yourself from the word of God are dangerous and can cost you much and are severe, for believers. And so there are absolutely probably right now in this room, there are so many of us trying to follow Jesus and we're weak and we're dizzy and we we just keep falling and we, we can't get it together. And what is going on? And here's what's going on. You're not eating. You're starving. You're emaciated because you haven't fed on the word of God. Why aren't our churches filled with more just, just faith-filled, Jesus-loving, strong warriors for Jesus? Because they're not eating. How strong if we went over to the army right now and we said, we gotta save some money, guys. We're gonna give you more bullets, but we're gonna take your food away. What's gonna happen, right? They're gonna be emaciated. They're not gonna be able to do anything. That's not gonna be an effective army in the same way. We have so many believers walking around, being like living defeated lives. Why? Because they're not eating. They're not eating. They're not they're not eating on the, the word of God. And, and you might say, you know what? That I, I get what you're saying. The Bible's important or whatever, but like bread, come on. Like like bread does so much. Like our food does so much. It it nourishes us. It it enables our body to to physically keep going. It it enables our our, our cognitive abilities to uh, to to develop and to continue. Like like no no I don't I don't think I don't think that 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 parallel between the word of God and bread sticks because I mean food accomplishes so much for us physically. Well here's what the word of God does for us. All right here's how essential it is. Here's how much like bread it actually is for us. And I'm gonna roll through these. So if you got your notes, you wanna flip on the back and try to write them down, good luck to you. But uh, this'll be online. Our sermons are online. You might wanna go back and listen. Here you go. Here's what it does. It gives you faith, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. All right, Tori said, if we're to have real faith, We must study the word of God and discover what is promised. Then we must simply believe the promises of God. Trying to believe something that you want to believe is not faith. Believing what God says in his word is faith. Nourishes your growth in Christ. 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Growing up into salvation, grow more like Jesus. So the word grows us. And what does the word grow? Well, it grows Galatians 5.22. It grows love. And joy, and peace, and forbearance, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So it nourishes your growth in Christ. It teaches you what's true, and how to live. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So it teaches you truth, and corrects your errors. Have you ever experienced that? I've experienced that, where a few years ago, God changed my understanding of what love is. I was reading 1 Corinthians 13, and I didn't want to. It was just in my Bible reading plan. I didn't want to read it? Because I'd been to a couple weddings. I'd heard it, all right? Like, I didn't want to read that again. But as I read it, I realized, you know what? Lord, I've been hateful in your name because I, I thought that was what it, I, I thought, you know what? I, this is right and this is true, so it, I need to insist on it or I need to be harsh or I need to, I just need to fight for it, right? And I realized by, by his definition in 1 Corinthians 13, I was being hateful. He corrected my error with truth through his word. Fourthly, equips you for every good work. Second, 2 Timothy 3.17, God uses it, that's the Word of God, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It makes you strong against the enemy. 1 John 2, 14, I write to you young men because you're strong and the word of God lives in you and you've overcome the evil one. Overcoming the temptations and the discouragement and the deception of the enemy is directly tied to the word of God. It, it gives you assurance of your right standing with God. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The enemy will constantly, because he's the accuser, he's always accusing us before the Father. He's always saying, uh-uh, not this one. This one's not good enough. Uh-uh, this one's not forgiven, right? So not only does he accuse you before the Father, of course he's gonna accuse you to yourself. He's constantly trying to get you to question your own, uh, uh your, your your own sonship or or your, your own uh, uh, being a child of God. He's constantly gonna to try to get you to do that. And the word is our is our is our fight against that. Romans 8 1 tells us there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So so the word fights against that lie. It keeps you from sin. Psalm 19, 11 and 133. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. So following the wisdom of the word of God keeps us from stepping right back into so many different holes, waiting for us. It keeps you from the enemy's deception. Uh, Ephesians 6:17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the sword of the spirit cuts through the deception of the enemy and sets you free. Jesus said in John 8, to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I remember very vividly God doing this for me in my life. There were so many times I was ashamed to approach God and I thought, there's no way. God, I can't approach you. And the enemy had deceived me so much into believing that I was too dirty to come before him. I was too shame-filled to come before him. And then I read this in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, and it set me free. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin so let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It cuts through the enemy's deception. It keeps you from self-deception. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divining soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We play games with ourselves and we justify our behavior, right? I look at somebody and go, well, at least I'm not like that person. Or, you know, what God I did it because I had to do this right like like the end justifies the means right you know okay I was disobedient but but look I ended up being obedient over here right you know and we can deceive ourselves but the word of God cuts right through all of that, it makes you praise God with gratitude. Colossians three sixteen. Let the measure, of uh, the message of Christ, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. It gives you joy. Psalm nineteen eight. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. It guides your path. Psalm one nineteen one o five. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I heard someone say, a Bible is not read as like a bulb not lighted. Only insane people will love to work in the darkness with the king's bulbs, which are not switched on. And so goes the one who has the word but does not search into it. It gives you hope, Romans fifteen four. for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. It makes you holy, John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. Simply put, it makes us more like Jesus and lastly it always works Isaiah 55 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth it will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it the Bible isn't just important to believers it's essential it's our food it's our sustenance it's our bread how many of you in here you don't miss a meal I'm not speaking figuratively I mean like a real meal you know what I mean like you will not miss a meal let that be true of us believers as well, that we would not miss a meal. I might miss some other stuff, but I'm not missing a meal. I might, I might miss some other stuff up here at the church. I might miss some, some, some programs. I might miss uh, Sunday school. I might miss some, some other things. I might miss Wednesday night dinner. I might miss some other things. I'm not going to miss this. I'm going to eat. I'm not going to miss my meal. So what do we do? Here's what we do. Number one, read it. Here you go. If you got your hand out there, you can start filling in now. Number one, read it. Read it with a plan. That's a. Read it with a plan. Uh, I I think so many times we come to the scriptures and we're overwhelmed because like, where do you start, right? Like these are words. Oh, these are words too. Like where do you like where do you even start with this? And and usually if people start writing Genesis. What happens? You get like, you get maybe halfway through and you're like, and I'm out. I tried. 2016. You know what I mean? Like, we just... That's our thing, and so have a plan, and, and so I, I did this uh, yesterday and this morning just to make sure this was still true, but Google Bible reading plans. Google Bible reading plans. The very first link is uh, uh, is R.C. Sproul's ministry, and he's got 2015 Bible reading plans. Get a Bible reading plan. Like Like, start somewhere. Start with that map. Yeah, this can be daunting when you just look at it and go, I don't know, where do you do we start here? Like that can be daunting. So get a plan. Start with the Bible reading plan. If you have the Version Bible app on your phone, if you don't, go get it. But if you have that on your phone, there are Bible reading plans built into that app. And you don't even have to like turn to it. You just open it up and it goes right to your readings for that day. So read with a plan. The second thing, read with soap. Now, hang on, let me make sense of that. All right, so I've, I've used this with the students before, but but uh, when you go into the scriptures, read it with this in mind, this SOAP in mind. Let me explain what SOAP stands for. Number one, S is scripture. So, so as you're reading through your Bible plan, like, like find a scripture, something that sticks out to you, something that pops off the page to you and, and write it down and then make an observation. And what I mean is look before it and look after it. Try to figure out what's the context, right? Things out of context don't have meaning. You know, they don't have the, the real meaning. Like you could say something completely out of, uh, you could take something out of anybody's conversation out of context and, and make it sound like something completely different. So so find out what the context is. Look before and after the, the scripture. Observe the meaning in the context. Make that observation. What's it mean right then for that audience right here on the page? What's it saying here? Then make an application. Okay, God, I see what it says to them. I see how, how maybe it would have applied to that situation situation how does it apply to me today is this to instruct me am I supposed to do something in response to this or is this to encourage me or is this just revealing something to me like like what is this uh, what's this going to do for my life and then the last one is is prayer of course so ask God to help you be obedient to what you've read ask God to help you keep it in your mind that day so so read it not only uh with a plan and not only with soap but read it with help Read it with help. So get a translation you can understand. People ask me all the time, what's the best translation of the Bible? The one you read. That's the best one, all right? The one that you read. We can argue all day like, I don't know, I love the ESV over the NASB and the blah, 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 blah B and the XYZB, right? Like that doesn't, no. It, the one you'll read is the best one. And, and, and not only get, get a translation you read, get a study Bible, I, I uh, In my bag, I carry a study Bible with me. The the ESV Bible app I have on my phone is the study Bible app. Like get a study Bible. There are notes there that are so helpful and will help you understand what you're reading. Use devotionals, use devotionals. If you have a, a smartphone, devotionals are just usually a scripture, a short scripture reading and then sort of an application there, some sort of explanation application there. If you have your that YouVersion Bible app, devotions are built into that. You can go in there and find devotions. It'll pop up on your phone every day. You can set a reminder there if you've got uh if you want to go get um like a book with paper those exist too all right like those devotional books are out there go to lifeway family christian store look on amazon go even to barnes and noble they're out there um maybe uh maybe there are other apps in the app store that are bible devotions but do that get in a bible study this preset Bible study we're registering for today is an indu- it's a way to teach you to study the Bible in an inductive way, right? So a systematic way of studying the Bible. It's what's gonna teach you. That's what it is. It's not just another Bible study, like, oh, here's, here's the Bible and here's what it says. No, it's, it's here's, here's the Bible here. Now let's figure out how do we get the meaning out of it? How do we mine for the treasure that's here in it? So register there. Get in the preset Bible study. Get in a Sunday school class. Get in some sort of Bible, study get help and then lastly read it with commitment read it with help and read it with commitment meaning make time for it if you walk out of here right now and say this week I'm going to read my Bible and you don't make a commitment you don't have a you don't have a, a, a way in your day you're gonna get it in there you don't have a hey you know what but it's it's mornings at 8 a.m hey you know what it's at my lunch break hey it's it's in the evening whatever then what's gonna happen everything like everything else we don't make commitments to what's gonna happen it's just gonna fall away from us right or or, or maybe you have to figure out out how to insert it into your life. I have a, a 30 minute drive every day from, from, from my house to here. One way is, is 30 minutes. And um, and I, I just live across the street. I just, I just drive backwards. I'm a horrible driver. But anyway, it's 30 minutes. And so I, I, have, the, I, have, the bio, I have the audio Bible. If you have the, the YouVersion app, there's free audio Bibles in there as well. I listen to the scriptures while I'm driving because why not? Insert it into your day. The second thing, not only read it, but second thing, meditate on it reading the Bible without meditating on it is like eating without swallowing, right? It's like, we can, yeah, you can read it, check. And if you're just reading it to check it off, what good is that doing? Meditate on it, chew on it, think about it throughout the day. Uh, and then a great way to help you meditate on it is the third thing, memorize it. I could spend an entire sermon alone on this, but I won't. Let me just give you a quote from Chuck Swindoll about memorizing scripture. He says, I know of no other single practice in the Christian life more rewarding, practically speaking, than memorizing scripture. No other single Exercise pays greater spiritual dividends. Your prayer life will be strengthened. Your witness will be sharper and much more effective. Your attitudes and outlook will begin to change. Your mind will become alert and observant. Your confidence and assurance will be enhanced. Your faith will be solidified. And lastly, obey it. Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Don't let it be a spiritual exercise. Come to the word of God. Don't just open the word of God, but open yourself and be willing to say, Lord, make a change in me by what I am reading. It's living and active. Let it be living and active in my life right now. The band's going to come back up, and we're going to respond in song, but as they come up, um, I want you to think about what we just heard. God is speaking, and He's not just speaking to pastors. All right, like like I can't, I don't go on my phone and I've got um, my contacts here. Oh, there's Jesus, right? Like I don't, I don't have some special like I got, I don't text him. You know what I mean? Like there's no like like you don't become a pastor and they're like, let me give you God's cell phone number. Like that's not a thing, right? God's speaking. He's not just speaking to, to professional Christians. There's no such thing. He's speaking to anybody who's listening to Him. He's speaking to those who are eating their bread. So eat. Your bread, believers. I, my prayer for our church in 2015 is that we would be a people who would miss no more meals. We do this feeding ministry on the weekends, and it's so incredible to talk to people and hear their story and think about like, like, like what they have to deal with and, and the fact that they really could miss meals and, and how much eating means to them and how much these meals mean to them. In the same way, may we have that same desperation about the Word of God. May we start to diagnose our issues as, you know what, maybe I'm starving, maybe I'm hungry, Maybe I'm, I'm not having victory in my life, and I'm struggling spiritually because I'm emaciated. I'm, I, I, I haven't eaten. I haven't eaten. I, I need to eat. I need to stay in the Word. So, Church, my prayer for us is that we would eat our bread, that we would come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Let me pray for us, Lord Jesus. As we're about to respond in song, um, God, I, my prayer is that it would honor you. Um, God, I thank you for your word. God, I'm sorry for so many times I've not seen it as essential. I've seen other things as essential, but I haven't seen your word as essential. And I'm sorry, Lord, for looking at it as a book and making it common like any other book. It's not. It's living and it's active and it will last forever forever. And so God, would you put in all of us now a deep desire and a longing to meet with the eternal God, to meet with you in your word. God, give us the resolve and give us the courage to look at our lives and say, I'm not missing another meal. I'm gonna move what I gotta move. I'm gonna sacrifice what I have to sacrifice. I'm not missing another meal. Lord, there are probably people in this room right now who are in some sort of spiritual bondage. They're in some sort of mess in their life. And it's it's probably directly related to the fact that they're starving. They don't have your word. So Lord, would you set people free this week as they get into your word, as they eat your bread? So Lord, we thank you for our love for us. Lord, as we sing, you might have something for us to do. Lord, you might want us to sing our, our, our heads off. You might want some of us to come forward and kneel at the altar in prayer or to come forward and pray with me or Brother John or whatever. But God, would you give us the courage to respond how you want us to respond? For those in this room who, they need to surrender their lives to you. They don't need to run anymore. Like, they don't need to live for themselves anymore. They did that. They've done that. They need to live for you now. They need to follow you now. They need to be forgiven. They need a new life. God, would you give them the courage to ask you for that this morning and to trust that you'll provide it. And God, give them the courage to come talk with me or pray with me and Brother John and, um, so that we can encourage them as well. So Lord, we love you. Do what you wanna do in this time as we pray. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen.